All right, we're ready to go. Good. Well, do me a favor and turn to the book of Amos as we are continuing through the uh, uh, minor prophets. They're not minor, by the way, because they're unimportant. That's the way, yeah, it's just because they're not very long that they call them the minor prophets. And hopefully when we get to the end of this, I want you to be able to distinguish between all of the minor prophets. And I want us all to do it. So if you have a pen or a pencil and you have some scratch paper or whatever, um, do this. Here's how I would start it. I would start it by learning them in the, 12, in the order of all 12 of them. And so we'll just learn as we go. And the first one was Hosea. Hosea. And Xander taught that. And um, uh, then we turned. And, and the other part that I do to try to remember these things, I don't know why I do this, but I think it'll help you, is remember how many chapters are in each. Hosea, there's 14 chapters. Joel is next. And that's uh, Xander did that one as well. And uh, in Joel... Uh, there's three chapters. So you have 14 and three, and then you get to Amos, and that's what we're in currently. And remember this, or well, first of all, there's nine chapters. So there we go. So say it with me, Hosea, Joel, and Amos. So we've memorized the first three. Then we memorized the first three. And uh, in order to distinguish them, I think you need to know when they happen. I even printed out some more of my chicken scratch back there on the back table. I don't know why, but maybe it's just me. But that thing helps me more than anything when I'm in the Old Testament. When I'm in the Old Testament. Do you remember this now? This is important for your learning. Uh, who was the first king of uh, Israel? Well, yes, but... Yeah, Saul. Then who was next? And, and then who was next? And then what happened after Solomon's reign in Israel? The kingdom split. And when did it split? What date? Around 931 or so BC. Around that time. So see, that's important for you to know. The split, the kingdom split. What do you mean the kingdom? The 12 tribes of Israel under uh, Saul and David were all one in one place or all together. But the kingdom, that those 12 tribes split after Solomon, one went with or, or, uh, the Solomonic line went with Rehoboam, but the other one, the northern tribe, they went with Jeroboam, and that's really, really important for the book of Amos. And this is important for you to know. Just time out. Don't give me a glazed look now. Under the uh, uh, kings of Israel, it starts with Jeroboam the first. But then there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Twelve kings later come Jeroboam the second. Jeroboam the second. Okay? And um, the reason I'm telling you that is uh, because this prophet, Amos, is prophesying around the end of Jeroboam the second's reign. And last week, I point, uh, uh, passed out a map. There's one still back there that shows you all the territories and all of the kings and all that sort of thing. Yeah, there it is, of uh, Jeroboam's, era, or Jeroboam's era. 
he gives way to a king called Zechariah, and Amos prophesies during the second king's era, and it's around approximately, now listen, 750 B.C. So how many years after the kingdom split or is he prophesying? I don't know, around 180 or so, is that what that is? 150 plus 30 more around, you, you get what I'm saying? Everybody, nobody's paying attention right here, I can see it. But it's really important and here's why. Because it's in 750 BC, but what happens in 722 BC? This is ultra important. Syria comes in and takes the northern kingdom out. And by the way, and this is pertinent to the story and the uh, teaching today, the Syrians were ultra cruel. And the way that they led them out is they'd get them naked and they would take fish hooks and they would either put them in their nose or their lip or up through their chin and they would string them together and that's how they kept them in line. And they were known for this uh, conquest and it actually mentions it here in the book of Amos. Listen, but it's prophesied <laughs> about 30 years prior to the time that it happened. You get it? All right. Now I'm giving you lots of dates. Now this is the most major date and it really doesn't have anything to do with Amos but you should know it because how would you ever know anything about the Old Testament if you didn't know this date? In 586 BC, the Babylonians, who now are the world power, come and take out the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, out of Jerusalem and destroy Jerusalem. And that time, 586, is generally referred to as the exile, the time when the Babylonians bring them. And that, I, that brings me to this how we learn. One of the great ways to learn and distinguish these minor prophets is to learn if they're pre-exilic prophets or post-exilic prophets. And what would that mean? If you were pre-exilic prophet, you were prophesying prior to the time of 586 BC. You get it? If you're a post-exilic prophet, you're prophesying after. And if you're an exilic prophet, you're prophesying during that time. That's why it's so important to, to know these terms. Well, Amos is a pre-exilic prophet because he was prophesying around 750 to 760 BC. You get everybody tracking with me? And what Amos does, which his name, by the way, means burden, is right out of the gate. Look what uh, Amos does. He, he pronounces a judgment that God has given him on all these different nations. And we went through them last week, and you could see them up on the map if they're up there. Uh, he goes through Syria. He does that. He talks about a judgment against Syria, against Philistines, Philistia, against Edom against Ammon, uh, and on and on and on. And he ends up with Judah and Israel. And when I say Judah or I say Israel, is everybody clear? Israel's to the north, 10 northern kingdoms. Generally, Israel is those 10 northern kingdoms. And the two southern kingdoms are called Judah, or two southern tribes are called Judah. Get it? The southern kingdom. Is everybody tracking with that? Sometimes in the Bible, it's weird even in the Old Testament, when they're talking about Israel, they talk about both 
and you just have to be alert for that. But most of the time, when it says Israel in the Old Testament after the split, 930, they're talking about the northern kingdom. Everybody tracking with me? Okay, so here's what we've done is we've gone through the first two chapters, and now we're going to get to this really fascinating piece of scripture about chapter three through chapter six. And then after chapter six, we're going to see some visions. But in three through six, God is talking about the judgment and the punishment for Israel primarily, although he does mention Judah. And I'll show you where here, right out of the gate he does it. But so he's pronouncing judgment. He's saying, why am I bringing the judgment of the Assyrians? God's saying, here's why. And he gives you chapter three and chapter four and chapter five and chapter six. You get it? Listen to this. The word of the Lord, verse one, chapter three. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you. Uh, this is the Lord's message Amos is giving. I want you to remember this. Amos, oh, good man. Amos is from the south. He's from Tekoa. Can you see it up there? It's just a little south of Jerusalem. He's in the southern kingdom, and we know from later chapters that he's a little, not a little, but he's a sheep herder who's been out with the sheep and a farmer. And he has no training in being a prophet, zip, other than the Lord trained him out in nature with his sheep and with his farm. And the Lord did a mighty work in his heart. And now, here you go, Amos, the man with the burden, has to go up to Bethel. You see Bethel there, south Israel there? He's going to have to go up to Bethel and march into the courts of the religious people, including the king, Jeroboam II and or Zechariah, but probably Jeroboam II, and he's going to have to tell them that judgment is coming. And you think, well, wait a minute. We know the story, so why wouldn't they believe it? Why wouldn't they trust in them? Why wouldn't he just listen to them? Well, it was 30 years prior to the time that Assyria would do this, and I want you to see something. How fair is God? He just kept sending prophet after prophet after prophet. In fact, I think of the 16 prophets, I think that there are 11 pre-exilic prophets. You get it? You understand what I'm trying to say? When people say the God of the Old Testament's not graceful, not fair, different than the God of the New Testament, you say, hold on, time out. For hundreds and hundreds of years, he said, you've fallen away from what I've asked you to do in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He tells them in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, if you follow my ways, you're going to have crops and rain will be plentiful and everything's, but if you fall away and don't do uh, and obey, then things are going to happen. You remember this? And they do fall away. And God doesn't just hammer them right then. Guess what he does? He prepares the hearts of prophets and he sends them into the land to talk to the people and say, repent and turn over and over again at all the key places in all the key ways. Isn't that graceful? 
Well, here the word of the Lord was spoken against you, O children of Israel. Now watch this, against the whole family, against the whole family. That's one great thing about the Christian life, folks. One great thing about the Christian life, and there's so many of them, but one great thing is, you know this, if you're lonely, if you're sad, if you've lost a parent, if you don't have any parents, if your parents weren't good to you, if they, et cetera, et cetera, or your sisters or your brothers, not good, siblings, whatever, listen to this. He puts you into a family. The family is a family where he's the dad and he takes great care of you and I, we, us. We're part of a family. So he's our dad and we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we ought to treat each other like that, you see. Here he says, O children of Israel, against the whole family, we're a family, the people of God in the Old Testament, now us, we're a family which I brought up from the land of Egypt. Now this is something that you should think about, and I won't go into it totally tonight, but you're in a family in which we've all certainly dealt with the bondage of sin. And God has brought us out of it. Are you seeing this? And we all have that in common. You see, one of the great things about your family or family or good families, you know this, is that you have a history with the, each other. It's a history that you know, maybe I can come and witness, but I'm not really a part of that history in your biological families. And that's really cool and beautiful and loving because it knits you together or can, sometimes it splits you apart, but whatever. But when you come in here, we have a history too. The whole church has a history. And the number one thing that God wants to remind everybody in every family your biological family, that's to be following the Lord, but also watch this family. The number one thing that the Lord says, isn't this amazing, is that he brought us up out of Egypt. Now he told the family of God that, and they knew what that meant. That meant that there was this thing where God told us to prepare a lamb and spread the blood over the doorposts. And that was the only way you were going to escape death and be able to leave be bought back or redeemed. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what he's saying to us. The place where you start with the family, whether it's your biological, as you're growing your, you know, your family together, is with the Lord and his saving work. And here, that's what we start with. It's where we end with, really, too. But that's what it's all about, is about the Lord bringing us up out of Egypt, in a sense. Watch this. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Now see, this isn't some discriminatory statement. This is the opposite of that. And you should know it and I should know it. And uh, you could actually uh, go into Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, where he makes the great declaration God does about the family of God. What this says to you and why it's so important is, why was Israel chosen? There was no merit it was because of the grace of God. That's why Israel was chosen. Why was Abraham chosen? Wasn't Abraham some amazing spiritual guy? No, he wasn't. In fact, Joshua says he was an idol worshiper, Abraham. And God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees to come and lead the nation. You see it? There was no merit. It's always that way with the Lord. Here, 
You only I have known of all the families of the earth. God called Israel by his grace. And that's important to know. Because there's a lot of ideas out there about how the church has replaced Israel now. And when people talk about that, in my opinion, and our opinion here, they're striking at the heart of God's grace. God picked Israel. He can pick Israel. He can do what he wants. Now, does that mean he picked Israel and nobody, nobody else matters? No. He picked Israel to show the world what God's love is like. It's not some discriminatory thing. He picked Israel to show that God is a God of love and how to live in um, uh, 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 reliance upon him. Here he says, you only I have known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, you should circle that. I will punish you for all your iniquities. You remember this in the book of Luke. Jesus tells us, or the, the book of Luke tells us, from who much is given, much is required. And the Bible always speaks of this. Do you get this? When you are in a privileged position or when more light has been given to you, you're responsible for the light that's been given to you. If you've been given this much light, that's how much you're responsible. But if you've been given, wow, this much light, that's how much you're responsible for. And the Bible tells us, not something we should shirk from, the Bible tells us, for us, you should know this, we should know this, that we are ultra-privileged. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're called a chosen people. Did you know that? Folks, you're a chosen people. And when it says chosen, what word comes to mind? Grace. Why did God pick me or pick you? I don't know, but he did. Just like Israel, you get it? You're a privileged person. You're a chosen people, a royal nation, priesthood, sorry. A, uh, I can't even read it. <laughs> Wait a minute. A holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's what Second Peter or 1 Peter 2.9 says. Now that's great. Isn't that great? I think we would, listen, I think you would agree with this. Would you agree with this if we did what Ephesians calls us to? What does Ephesians 4.1 call you and I on this side of the cross to do? When I say this, people get sort of wiggly. In fact, they'll criticize me for it, but it's right there in the Bible. You and I and we are to walk worthy of our calling. What are you called to be? A holy nation, a chosen people, a holy priesthood. You got it. You get it? You understand? So you say, well, wait a second. The Bible is about grace. Yes, of course. We don't walk worthy of our calling to earn God's love or acceptance or salvation. No way. The blood of Christ is that. It's all about grace. But the Lord wants you and me and I with all of this responsibility that we've been given because, look, you folks have been given a lot of light. You know a lot about the Word of God. You have salvation. You know about the Word of God. Am I right? The Bible says you're to walk worthy. And I think if we'd step into that, we'd have a lot less anxiety, depression. I'm going to get in trouble for this. Worry. Now, are there some medical issues involved? Yes, no one's saying that. 
I'm saying uh, 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 people, uh, a lot of us, when we get into situations in life, we're not walking according to what we are in Christ. Do you get it? Uh, there would be a lot less sexual immorality. Now, I'm not just picking on, you know, depression and anxiety. Sexual immorality. There'd be a lot less gossip. There'd be a lot less lying on our taxes. There'd be a lot less compromise. There'd be a lot less watching R-rated movies. There'd be more Christ-likeness in the world. There'd be righteousness in the, our, our, our places of work because we were walking worthy. That doesn't mean earning our way to God. It means a response to all that God is and has given us. Are you, are you tracking with me? So here it says, therefore, I'm going to punish you for iniquities. And that brings up that great point that to whom much is given, much is required. Now we're to walk worthy. You getting this? I think what you and I and we need to do as we study through the scriptures, the Old Testament, is find about, out about who we are in Christ and walk according to that. That's the point. Well, watch this. What a great segue to the next verse that you all know and love and can recite. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can two walk together not unless they are agreed? Now, I want you to know something. What, what is repentance? If you had to define repentance, what would you say? Well, I think one of the things that you would say is this. You would say that repentance is agreeing with God. Wouldn't you say that? Just agreeing with God that it is what it is. Instead of saying, well, I'm Irish and I get angry. No, no, don't call it that. Say, I'm a sinner because I'm angry here. Now, there's good sin, and, or there's good anger, and there's bad anger, right? Of course. But you, you understand what I mean, right? Can two walk together? Here in this context, God is talking about Israel, and they're apparently not agreeing with God in what they're doing. Are you getting that? And we can cause ourselves real problems in our walk with God when we don't agree with God about some issue in our life. See, what we do mostly is we say, Lord, this is how it's got to be, and I'm praying about it, and the Bible says if I pray and I ask for it in your name, you're going to give it to me. That's how we do it. That's not praying, and that's not agreeing, and that's not walking with God. See, when we walk with God, we go his way. What we say when we go out to walk with God is, God, well, here's what we try to do. God, I really like Ohio Pile, so I want you to come down to Ohio Pile with me. And I love that one trail, so I want you to walk this trail with me. And Lord, I can only really do this for about two hours, so we're going to just stick to two hours, okay? Let's go. But that's how we do it in life. But the Lord says, I think, through his word, he's telling Israel, and now he's telling us, how can two walk together unless they're agreed? And the way you agree with the Lord is you go his way. So you say to him, Lord, I know you've called us to walk this path together. Here's what I'll do, Lord. Whatever way you want me to go, that's the way I'll go. If we go to Ohio Pile, great. If you take to Michigan, I'll even go there. West Virginia, go. Whatever, Lord. You'd say, you tell me how long. I want to just be with you. Are you getting it? 
See, here's what, that's what the Lord's saying. Can two walk together unless they're agreed? Oh, by the way, what does the Bible tell us about permanent relationships in the New Testament? You need to yoke up, put your yoke together with people who are believers. Any permanent relationship that you're ever going to make, the Bible tells us, is to be yoked with believers, not unbelievers. How could two walk together unless they are agreed? And so there's a plethora of things that this can mean, but the most important one is that we walk according to what the Lord says. We just agree with the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? It takes all the pressure off. I don't have to think it out. I don't have to manipulate things. I just do what the Lord asked me to do. Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? <laughs> nope. Isn't that a nope? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? Isn't that a nope? Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Mm -mm. Will a snare spring up from the earth if he is, it has caught nothing at all? If a nope. If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? Watch this. If there is calamity in his city, will not the Lord have done it? Oh, shoot. I want you to see this. What, what he's saying here is, Remember earlier in this book, he said that the lion's going to roar in this prophecy. And he's talking now about the Lord's prophecy that he's bringing. And what he's saying is the Lord's not going to be quiet about this. There's going to be some noise made here, some judgment. And there's one thing that might you might mention and might see. If there is a calamity in this city, will not the Lord have done it? That is driving you to the idea that sometimes... The Lord can wake us up through calamities. Folks, listen to this. The Lord loves us so much. He, he wants sinners to come to repentance. He'll go to great lengths, even if he has to send a calamity into your life to get you and I and we, the people of God, to wake up. Here he says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. And we talked about that already. I sort of jumped the gun. That's a really graceful verse because it's telling us that the Lord is giving what, uh, his word to prophets to come and to share and to tell people, watch this, watch this, it applies to you, the truth. Even when it's hard. Here's this man from Tekoa that isn't even trained, has to go up to talk to all the religious people and all the politicos, and he's got to tell them these things that the Lord secretly, not really, but gave to him in his quiet time to his servants. And then it says, a lion has roared, who will not fear the Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? What he's saying here is I, I can't do anything else. In fact, even if my humanly don't want to, Amos, I think, is showing us, there's nothing I can do. I have to do it. Paul said, do you remember this? Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He had to do it. He knowing what he knew, watch this, People who walk in a privileged position, which all of you are in Christ, watch this, 
when you have the truth, it has to come out. You can't just wave at people every week across the, uh, you know, the neighborhood fence. Hi, how you doing? Hi, how you doing? Well, one day that person's going to die. So the Bible's telling us here, I think, when you have a message, whoever he calls you to share it with, you share it with. You see that? Well, you keep going. Proclaim in the palaces at Ashdod. Now, you got it. I, I really think, too, I say this all the time. You, if you know the players of the Bible, everything's going to make sense. And if you know the places on the map of the Bible, this will make much more sense to you because Ashdod is an enemy. Look where Ashdod is. It's over on the coast. It's part of Philistia. And he says, listen to this, go into the palaces at Ashdod and then the palaces of the land of Egypt and say, come up to Samaria. That's northern Israel. Now, they're not going to do it. But what he's saying is, I want you to bring your enemies and see what's going to happen to you. Are you, are you getting that? Bring your enemies up to Samaria. See great tumults in the midst of Samaria, in her midst. That's confusion or trouble. And the oppressed within her, for they do not know to do right, says the Lord. <laughs> that gives you a great key. Look at that. It gives you a great insight into why the Lord chastises people or brings judgment. Why? He wants people to do right. <laughs> and the, a lot of people aren't woken up. And I dare say even in the church, Many people not awake. I go to church, I give some money, I serve on a committee, I'm fine. Here the Lord says, they don't know how to do right, says the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall be all around the land. He shall sap your strength from you and your palaces will be plundered. And that came true about 30 more years from this. And you can read about that right in 2 Kings 17, verse 5. And that is when Assyria dipped in there and got them all. Thus says the Lord in verse 12, as a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion. I'm going to say this every week because it just touches me so. Here's the Lord using what Amos was or is, a farmer, a shepherd. And he paid attention when he was out in the plain. He paid attention out in the wild. Read this. This is farmer shepherding language. And the Lord uses all that for his glory. See, I love that. Don't you love that? I mean, because I see in here, not any of us do the same things every day. So the Lord can take what you're doing. I mean, construction takes it. Do it for the glory of the Lord. Mechanic takes it. Do it for the glory of the Lord. Oh, you're a writer. Wonderful. Do it for the glory of the Lord. Oh, you work in movie sets. Wonderful. Do it for the glory of the Lord. And just he'd take you and what he's built into you and he can turn it around and make it for good. Not that, but anyway, make it for good and do it for his glory. Just like Amos. And here Amos speaks in shepherd language. As shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion, two legs or a piece of an ear so shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria. <laughs> this is really fascinating. He's using the Old Testament. See, 
Amos was a man of the word. In Exodus, there's this provision in the law. Did you know this? Let's say Xander and I had two crop or two herds of sheep, okay? And Xander had to go to a PTA meeting for Brit. So he said, hey, tonight, can you watch uh, uh, my sheep? And I'd say, yeah, sure. In the law, Exodus, you know what it said? If one of Xander's sheep got eaten under my watch, me, the person who was watching, try to grab what you can to prove to Xander that I didn't steal your sheep, but that got mauled by a lion. If so, I don't have to pay Xander back. You get it? That's in the law. And he's referring to this, which means Amos was a man of the word. He had a burden. God used him in his, where he was. He just used him where he was, but he was a man of the word. Isn't that amazing? And isn't that beautiful? So two legs are a piece of an ear. So shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and the edge of a couch. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, says the Lord God, the God of hosts. Can you imagine doing that right there in the courts of the king and the priests? That in the day I punish Israel for their transgression, I will also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel. Look where Bethel is. Look at that cow that's right beside it. Because what happened, you need to know your little cheat sheet here. What happened, Jeroboam the first, when the kingdom split? Guess what Jeroboam the first did? He took golden calves, he set one up in Bethel, he set one up, look at the other calf or cow, whatever it is, up there in Dan. He set two worship centers in uh, northern Israel, and he put golden calves up there. And one of the reasons that he did is because it's a long walk back to Jerusalem. It was inconvenient for the people to come back and worship. But another reason was he was jealous. He didn't want them to come back just in case they might catch on or latch on with the king of Judah, Rehoboam. So he set up worship centers. But the Lord said, you need to come back to Jerusalem. Are you getting this? So... Bethel is one of the places, and you need to know that. Because here I will visit destruction on the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I'll destroy the winter house along with the summer house. The houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end. Very, you should know this, very prosperous and peaceful and sort of wealth accumulation took place during the reign of Jeroboam II. And the reason why is he enlarged the borders and beat some people back. And they were like, wow, we're really good at this. And we have some peace here. And they got sassy and fat and lazy. Get it? And the reason I'm telling you that is I want you to see something that's really sad that'll almost make you cry. These poor people in Bethel thought they were doing religious stuff. They had a heritage in which they came from the people of God and were were the people of God. But God prescribed a way in which they needed to worship. And they said, well, you know what? I know you did that, Lord, but that was in times past. Something's happened now where the kingdom split and we're going to just sort of put some centers up here and I know you'll be okay with it, so bless that, Lord. And they didn't even know. That's the thing. In other words, if I had to name this title, 
I would name it, or the title of this message, I would say, wake up to what God says, not what you say about your religious life. Here, it's sad. They thought they were doing right things. Well, here, watch this. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. <laughs> he's, anyway, he's going to pick on the ladies here for a minute. But it's not just the ladies. It's just a segment of the population. And he just sort of picks that out. And here he says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. The cows of Bashan, look at this, are off here in the Golan Heights. In the Golan Heights. They're over here to the right, the top of the uh, you see where the Sea of Galilee is? Up there to the right somewhere, okay? Going towards Syria, Damascus, over there where it says Aram. It's over there. That's the Golan Heights. And Bashan is another word for that. And he says, you cows of Bashan are on the mountain of Samaria. There's big mountains up that way. Who oppre- Look what they were doing up there. They were oppressing the poor. God hates that, by the way. They, he was crushing the needy who say to your husbands, bring wine, let's drink. In other words, let's just live for, you know, today. Forget if people are hurting, let's live for ourselves. What's that sound like, folks? Sounds like America. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness. Behold, the day shall come upon you when he's going to take you away, how? With fish hooks. Wow, he told them 30 years prior it was going to happen. And your posterity with fish hooks, you'll go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her, and you shall be cast into Harmon. I have no idea where Harmon is, and no one else does either, but it's up that way apparently. Says the Lord, come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days, Offer of sacrifice, uh, thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce the free will offerings. For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. Watch this. See right there where the blue meets the uh, pink? There's Jericho. Right below Jericho is Gilgal. Gilgal is where they crossed over, Joshua. What happened after they crossed over? What they set up? They set up stones, a memorial. What else happened there? They celebrated the Passover again. What else happened there? Uh, I know we're in mixed company, but oh well. They circumcised themselves there because they were uh, uh, going to obey the law, right? They circumcised themselves there. What does Gilgal uh, sort of signify in the Bible? Entering into the promised land, okay? And then Bethel is right there. It's in the north. It's where they set up the cow. But what else happened in Bethel? You know this. See, if you know the map and the things that happen in the map, this thing will come alive. Well, remember when uh, Jacob, uh, what's that? Jacob's ladder, right. Jacob and Esau. Esau sort of his birthright to Jacob. Jacob kind of duped him out of it. Uh, the Lord had an encounter with Jacob here in the wilderness at Bethel where Jacob saw the ladder. Remember that? Uh, and so... Uh, Uh, that happened at Bethel. But what this passage is saying, so sad, you're doing all these things. And every time you perform worship in these places, you're committing iniquity. That's what he says. You're multiplying your transgressions 
you're bringing uh, and at Galgal or and at Bethel and at Gilgal, your ties, you're doing everything. I want you to notice something here. This is amazing. There's mention here of the free will offerings and offerings of sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, but never in here do you see an, uh, an, a sin offering. You know why? I think I know why. I think you know why when you know the story. Prosperity, wealth, large borders. Man, we're the people of God. We have 10 tribes. They have two. We've done some amazingly new good things here. We set up this. We set up that. We've really streamlined our worship, man. We don't have to now walk back and do our thing. What happened? They started to think they weren't in need of the blood sacrifice, of the sin offering. They don't mention it here. They, there's a real weakened sense of what sin is. Folks, if you preach about sin now, you know what people worry about in the church? You know what people seriously worry about in the church now if people preach about sin? Oh my gosh, the money's going to go down because people are going to leave. We're not going to have enough people here so that when we put stuff on Instagram and stuff, they, they won't see lots of people. That's what people think about, folks. Trust me, that happens in the church. There's no sin offering. So, man, the pastors have failed. The, the preachers have failed. The leaders have failed. But also now we've gotten to this place of America and prosperity, and we have started calling sin something else. And it's not sin and just sort of glossing over it. We're just like them. Also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. Now here, from 6 to 11, he takes them through the calamities that he used to try to get them to wake up. Watch this. Cleanness of teeth means he, there was a lack of food. There wasn't food in the teeth. <laughs> uh, and lack of bread in all your places. Yet, why, why did he do it? Why did he bring the calamity? Watch this. All calamities that the Lord bring are motivated by love yet you have not returned to me that was his goal that they would return to him i've also withheld rain from you where there were still three months to the harvest i made it rain on one city it withheld rain from another so what here he brings a drought so two or three cities verse eight wandered to another city to drink water but they weren't satisfied yet you haven't returned to me see what else did he do well, crops with this blight, this thing that knocks out the crops, blasted you with blight and mildew when your gardens increased, your vineyards, fig trees, olive trees, locusts devoured, yet you haven't returned to me. I sent among you a plague, so there's disease he used. After the manner of Egypt, your young men I killed with a sword. War, along with your captive horses, I made the stench of your camps come up into your nostrils. God's calamities to get people to wake up. Folks, do I really have to expand upon that one for the last two years? Oh, shoot. He wants us to wake up. I overthrew some of you, verse 11, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning, yet you haven't returned to me, says the Lord. Oh, shoot, he's just sad. Turn to God. Turn to God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Find the Lord when he can be found. You, you know what I'm saying? The Bible says it over and over again. 
And I think he's saying it to you and to me. I think he's speaking to me first. Wake up. Whatever it is in your life that you haven't laid down to the Lord, what is it? I don't know. I think it's judgment starts in the house of God. I don't think we point the finger. We say, what about me? What am I not doing or I am doing? I want to lay it down to the Lord. So I want to just return to him. For behold, he who forms mountains, verse 13, and creates the wind. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't read 12. Therefore, thus I will do to you, or will I do to you, O Israel, because I'll do this to you. You got to see this. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Shoot. The Lord doesn't strive with man. Just continually, there's a point in which judgment comes. For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind, who declares a man what his thought is and makes the morning and darkness, who treads the high places, the earth. The Lord God of hosts is his name. It says, prepare to meet your God in the verse before. And then he says, the Lord God of hosts, the captain of the armies is his name. Now hear this word, which I take up against you. That's funny. It's confrontational. Isn't this interesting? Amos has a confrontational word in chapter 5. But watch this. The next word he uses, a lamentation. That means a funeral dirge, a song about a funeral, a sadness. There's this thing where he has to tell truth, but he doesn't do it like this. He does it in a sad way because he loves them. And the Lord loves them. The virgin of Israel has fallen. She will rise no more. She lies forsaken on her land. There was no one to raise her up. There's no one to raise her up. The northern kingdom, there's no one to raise her up. It's going to happen. You're going to be laid out. For thus says the Lord God, the city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left. And that which goes out by a hundred shall have ten left. Uh, to the house of Israel. You could look back in Deuteronomy 28, verse 62. God told Moses this. If you don't obey, you're going to be left with very few in number. He actually says that to him. Here, here, the Lord's reiterating that. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel. And this is what I wanted to get to. I think we need to wake up. I think I need to wake up. Because he says, seek me and live. Seek me and live. You know, there's an opportunity for a way different outcome here for both Israel here, the nation, but also for us. Instead of seeking all the different circumstances, Lord, just would this circumstance go in my favor? I hate being it down here. Could it be up there for a while? The circumstance, Lord, what if we just sought the Lord for his beauty? Because it says, seek me and live. Now, we've been going through John chapter 3, or the book of John. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, well, I want to learn about being born again. And Jesus gives him a number of things. But then he says, hey, Nicodemus, I know you know this story because you're the teacher of the law. He goes, you remember in Numbers 21, doesn't say that, but he said, do you remember that story about the bronze serpent? They were complaining in the wilderness as they're ready to leave because their food was crappy. You kept bringing this 
stupid manna stuff. The Lord got upset and he sent serpents and they bit them and they were dying. And the Lord then gave a provision. Just put up a, that bronze serpent on a pole. And if you look to that, watch, you'll have life. Just believe, just look. The, look to the one who took the curse. You'll live. And then if you go through John chapter 5, it's so amazing. It says in there, as Jesus is talking, that the Father has life but ha has uh, uh, life in him, but also the Son has been given life to give out. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, in Christ, or in the Word, was life. Seek me and live. Watch this, but don't seek Bethel. Bethel could, had started out good. It had very important stuff going on there. It was sort of where, you know, the house of God, Jacob, and all that he would do started out in his relationship with the Lord, and that was good. But don't seek the experiences of things that have happened in the past, and, 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 but seek just seek me and live. You want real life? Just come to me, nor enter Gilgal. Wait a minute, the Lord. That's, that's representing the promised land. I know, but you, you, you want all of these gifts and all of these things that I've represented to you. What about just me? Seek me and live, nor pass over to Beersheba, which is really interesting because Beersheba is all the way down in Judah. Of course they weren't going to go down there, right? It's in, a, it's in Jerusalem, or it's in the, the southern kingdom. He's like, I'm not sparing the southern kingdom either. What if you just sought me and lived? Don't go after Bethel's or Gilgal's or Beersheba's, because Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph. Seek the Lord. It's really amazing stuff. The Lord wants you and wants me, watch this, to have this intimate fellowship with him. That's what this is about. You know what? Sometimes I look at those uh, announcements and I get creepy. Not creepy. I get hives. Because all the things are good stuff up there. I know all of them are to honor the Lord. So I'm not criticizing people for putting the announcements up, but you know what? What if we just had one side? Let's just pursue the Lord together. Let's encourage one another in our own walks to pursue the Lord. Let's encourage one another corporately to pursue the Lord. Let's forget about the doing, doing, doing all the time, and let's just seek the Lord. Hmm. Wow. But if we are going to do these things, then we better be seeking the Lord. We can't forsake it. Who wrote that book? We're too busy not to pray. Yeah. What a, or we're, how's it go? Yeah, we're too busy not to pray. That's the name of the book. Yes. Our, our relationship with the Lord, this intimate fellowship must be first. It must be. It must be second. It must be last. It's where real life is. He said, I'm the bread of life. He said, out of me, if you'll just come and drink from me, 
rivers of living life, water will flow out of my, your, your, your soul, your body, you know, your, your life. And we want the Lord. So what is it that's keeping us from the Lord? Is it busyness? Well, tell, stop. If something's keeping you from the Lord, quit it. If you have lots to do, but you can continue seeking the Lord, great. But if you can't, stop it. Cut it out. Lest it break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it with no one to quench it in Bethel. You who turn justice to wormwood. Apparently, these people were taking the justice system and making it poisonous and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. He, watch this. Here he goes again. He knows about things in science. He made the Pleiades and Orion. By the way, that's in Job. So not only did he have an eye for nature, he had an eye for the word again. It's amazing. He turns the shadow of death into morning and makes the day dark as night. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name, Jehovah. He rains ruin upon the strong so that fury comes upon the fortress. Watch this, verse 10. They hate the one who rebukes in the gate. He's talking now about his, his office, his job. He's talking now about any Christian that is full of grace and truth. They hate the one who rebuked in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. If you're looking to be friends with the world, the Bible says that ain't going to happen, folks. If you're talking gracefully and truthfully, truthfully and gracefully, you're going to run into conflict. Because the, the, the world doesn't want to hear it. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. By the way, in the archaeology history of Israel, guess what started happening in around the middle 700s BC? They started seeing in cities, the cities where the common folk lived and a place where there were nicer houses in the ruins. They found this. And it started happening around the middle 700s. Listen, that's what they're talking about here. For I know your manifold transgression, verse 12, and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore, the prudent keep silent at that time, for it's an evil time. Now watch. This is how you seek the Lord. A person who is seeking the Lord. Watch this. You can just take an arrow from your, in your Bible. Mine goes across the way here and draw from verse 14 over to verse 4. Seek me and live. If I'm doing that, if we're doing that, guess what we'll be? People who seek good and not evil. That you may live. People who seek after the Lord, who have a relationship with the Lord, look for good things and not evil. Their mind dwells on good things pure things, noble things. That's why you got to watch it. You know the reason you got to keep your mind and heart from things that are not godly, like R-rated movies, like cladly or scantily clad women or men? You know why? One reason, well, God says, but you know one reason is because if the truth be told, we like it. And that's the point. The Lord knows it, that sin is alluring there for a minute. But the end of it is total death. And here he says, 
just set up your life for a person seeking after the Lord. Set up your life so that you're contemplating, thinking about, surrounded with the things that are good and not evil. And you've got to watch it. It's so subtle. Go just watch one sitcom. According to Jim, that thing's funny. Just got to be honest. It's funny. But you know why I hate it? It makes dads look like a buffoon. It makes dads look like all they care about is, you know, whatever that is, and then, you know, just sitting around and not taking care of the kids. And, and that's not godly. It's not good. And people joke and laugh about it. And I hate it. Seek good and not evil. And I'm just bringing up one thing. You got to watch it, though. It's really subtle in the world because there's these shiny things that you may live so the Lord God of hosts will be with you. As you have spoken, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. Be a person that seeks after justice in the public square. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. He's saying, if you'll just come back, we've got 30 years, come back. Repent, agree with me. If you agree with me, the Lord says, we can walk together. But if you continue to not wake up and to fool yourself, and that's what I think American Christianity does. It fools itself. People fool themselves. And we don't call sin, sin anymore. We call things like affairs. What? That sounds like... I don't know what it sounds like, but it doesn't sound bad. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this, there shall be wailing in all the streets and they're going to say in all the highways, alas, alas, they shall call the farmer to mourning and skilled lamenters to wailing. You know this, right? They had professional wailers in Israel. They would pay people to go wail so it would be more meaningful. But not only are the professionals, the farmers are mourning. In all vineyards there shall be wailing for I will pass through you, says the Lord, that really evokes images and thoughts of the Passover. He said the same thing at the Passover. He will pass through and pass over. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. These religious people in Israel were piously, listen to this, saying, oh, I can't wait till the Lord comes back. And here's what Amos said. He marched right up there and he said, you really shouldn't say that because woe to you if you are. Because in Jeremiah 46, he describes what the, uh, uh, the Lord does in the day of the Lord, and it's a day of vengeance. You get that? They didn't realize anything that they were doing was wrong, and what Amos was saying, even though you don't realize, vengeance is coming upon you. How sad is this? For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It'll be darkness and not light. Or it'll be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. He'll be like, yeah, I missed the lion, but the bear mauled me. Or as though he went into the house, oh good, I got safe from the animals, put his hand on the wall and got bit by a serpent. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? It's not very dark with no brightness in it. Now watch this. This is the Lord saying this. Remember when the Lord in Proverbs says there are six things he hates, a seventh thing that he hates. Remember all that, starting with pride and all that sort of thing. Watch this. Here's another one. I hate... I despise, think about this, Bethel, Dan, I hate and I despise your feast days. You do things that you think are religious, but I hate them. 
And I don't savor your sacred assemblies, though you offer me burnt offerings. Notice, no sin offering. And grain offerings, I won't accept them, nor I regard your fat, uh, fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, even their worship. Look, it was just noise. For I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. Why? Because they like to sing about themselves. I, 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 instead of him, 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 him. They wanted to do it for entertainment, not singing to him. This is what they were doing, folks. And then he goes, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Justice is looking out for other people and righteousness is doing the right thing. But that's not the point, really. The point is what you do in church better run out of your life when you leave the church. It ought to be flowing from your life. See, but what? It wasn't for these people. They were going to do their thing at church and then they went out and lived like hell. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years? Yeah, the answer to that is yeah. They used a tabernacle. You, O house of Israel, you also carried these gods, Sikuth and Chiun, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus. That's Assyria, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Here's what I want you to see. They were going to church It was more convenient. I got to just tell you something, folks. It's hard to say. Church shouldn't be convenient. (laughs) Even, it just isn't. Here the Lord said, I need you to come back to Jerusalem. They said, nah, we'll set up shop here. I'm sure you understand, Lord. Not everything that's convenient is good for you. Here it certainly wasn't. And they were going to church. They were giving offerings. They were even giving tithes. They were doing all the religious things. When they left, look at this. They went home to their idols. Shoots. And I don't really know who these idols are or what they were, but they just don't sound good, do they? (laughs) They sound pretty evil. Here's what I think the lesson for us is as we leave. I think the lesson for us is that you and I should wake up. Let's wake up. Let's do this. Let's get serious about sin. Not some legalistic, weird way. Let's have a burden like Amos, his name. Let's have a burden for our sin. Let's ask the Lord to help us and to agree with him so that we can walk with him. Because the Bible calls us to a place of worship And the place of worship for us in the book of John is in spirit and in truth. You know this, right? And we ought to have a lifelong adoration and fascination of worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. And if you do that, wow, you're abiding in Christ. And when you abide in Christ, you get fed all the spiritual nutrients that you need. In other words, you live the true vine. Okay, I know I'm going long, but watch this. Spirit spiritually. You don't worship externally. You worship inside. That's the whole point of everything the Lord's saying. He wants your heart when you worship. But I want you to see something. The way to your heart is through the truth. 
Do you know when people get dry? You know what I say? When I get dry, you know what I do? Man, I must not be reading the word. Because when you start searching the scriptures and you find out everything that the Lord has done and accomplished, guess what just automatically happens? I don't even know how to play a guitar or keyboards or anything. I just start worshiping. Now, I don't sing, but my heart goes from here to here. I'm just soaring. And so are you when you read the word. When you see what the Lord has done, spirit you concern yourself with the spiritual with the Lord, not the externals. That's what they were doing. And you do it all according to the truth. Jesus said, he's going to sanctify us by the truth of his word. It's the word, man. Know the word and worship. And let's get away from externals. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for your great word and we pray lord that you do a mighty work in our hearts here i pray you do a searching work in our hearts lord if we're phony in ways show it to us and let's agree with it if we're gossips show us that lord if if we're not encouraging show us that lord if we're harsh show us that lord nothing's off limits for us if we're touchy grumpy prideful, if we look at bad things, if we're sinning in any other ways, Lord, show it to us. And then, Lord, help us, give us the grace and strength to remove those things and to replace them with your love and light through the word. Help us to be worshipers who aren't just thinking of convenience all the time. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.